0: Let's welcome to the VIN News Podcast, Luke Tress. Luke is a former editor and reporter at the Times of Israel, and he has just begun this week working as a reporter at the JTA and at the New York Jewish Week. Luke, thank you so much for taking the time to be here.
1: Thanks for having me, Arko.
0: Yeah, look, it's a pleasure, at least it would be a pleasure under normal circumstances. Obviously, this is a very difficult week for all of us. Um, despite that, I want to wish you congratulations and good luck, because it sounds like you just started a new job, and that is very exciting.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It's uh, it is exciting, even even if the timing is not the best for starting a new job. this Sure. Sure.
0: Understood. Yes. uh, No. Time is not good for anything this week. So on that note, um, look, we know about the attack. Obviously, we've all been sort of bombarded with nonstop footage and videos and social media. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's talk about right now. Israel has been pummeling Gaza. Uh, a lot of people believe that Israel will not stop until they eliminate the Hamas terror group. And I know you've been covering this a lot, and I know this is an area where you have a lot of expertise over the years. Is is it realistic to believe that Israel would eliminate Hamas? How long would that take? And I think the real question is, could it become so devastating at a certain point? And, and I don't think that's a bad thing to the civilians in Gaza that there would become, you know, pressure would suddenly mount on Israel over the coming weeks to let up?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, pressure on Israel has already started. There's already people saying Israel should not be uh, cutting off water and electricity to Gaza. Um, uh, people are already saying the, the airstrikes are too devastating and they're killing many people. So it's, the, the pressure is there already, and it's, it's only going to keep growing as more people get killed in Gaza. And as far as eliminating Hamas, like Israel, Israel has said, their like uh, defense minister Yoav Gallant said today, Hamas is going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Um, so, and th- the U.S. has backed it up. Biden has said it. Um, even President Obama said Israel needed to uh, – former President Obama said Israel needed to dismantle Hamas. Right. So the will, the will and the support to do it is there, but it's totally unclear how that's going to happen. They're a big terror group. They're embedded in this really densely packed urban area, which is Gaza. And they're holding a lot of hostages. We still don't know how many hostages they're holding, but it's, it looks like it's well, well over 100. Uh, includes many, if not most, civilians. Uh, plus, dead bodies belonging to Israeli. So um, it's, it's totally unclear how that could happen, be, because... Like Hamas has already threatened to start executing hostages, and from what we've seen, from how barbaric they are, I've no doubt that they would do it. So it's totally unclear how Israel is is going to do this. There's been a huge call up of uh, of reserves. I think something like 400,000 reserves. So and like Israel could flatten Gaza in an afternoon if they want. But in terms of doing it without killing everybody in Gaza and without killing our own hostages it's it's totally unclear how that's going to happen
0: right i believe yeah continue continue the thought
1: yeah even if they do wipe out hamas gaza is full of terror groups there there's been just like the, the the leading other one is palestinian islamic jihad which is just as barbaric as hamas if not more and there's very many other groups who have all said they participated in this attack um So if they wipe out Hamas, someone else is going to take their place. This is also the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank is very weak. And the president, um, Abbas or Abu Mazen, is, I think, 86 years old. He's had a lot of health scares, so he's probably not going to be in power much longer. And Hamas is popular in the West Bank also. So... Hamas, Hamas is just entrenched in, in Palestinian society, and there's plenty of other groups that will take their place if Hamas does—like, if they wipe out the leadership of Hamas, there's plenty of other groups that will step into the void. So it's it's really unclear how this is going to resolve at all for Israel.
0: That's interesting. You know, that it's a very sobering uh, take you have on it, but it rings true—I certainly don't have an expertise, nothing, nothing nearly like what you have—but— What you're describing, number one, that if there's a vacuum, you know, look at what's happened, what happened with Al-Qaeda and then ISIS and then Iraq. And whenever there's a vacuum, it's almost like the terrorism is there. It's just entrenched in the culture and someone steps into the vacuum. And then yeah, compound that to the fact, look, Israel is not going to reveal a game plan. So if they have a game plan, if they know how to surgically, you know, really target uh, like Hamas cells all over Gaza, and that's going to have to include tunnels. And that's, I guess, going to have to include the Gaza leadership who's outside of, uh, the Hamas outside of, of, of Gaza in Beirut and in uh, other places. So like you're saying, it's really hard to conceive of how, ta- ta- and, and that doesn't diminish at all from Israel. Obviously, they had this big intelligence failure, which is a separate conversation for later, but um you just really wonder how practical it is. Yeah, they're they're talking up a big talk, and I'm not trying to be cynical or critical at all of them. But like you're describing, it's so hard to conceive of how it could play out that way.
1: Yeah, it's an, an, like previous rounds of, of fighting in Gaza. There's been periodic operations. Um, I think a couple have been called wars, but much smaller. Um, they've been mostly conducted by the air. The last one where troops went in, I think, was 2014 in, in Suketan. And they didn't go in very far. This this was an operation aimed at uh, destroying tunnels that went under the border. So the tunnels don't go into the middle of Gaza. They they're you know they're they're the, the openings in Gaza are pretty close to the Israeli border. So in that case, troops didn't need to go far into Gaza, and we still lost a lot of soldiers in that operation. There was a uh, a Palestinian neighbor neighborhood called Shijaya, which was kind of like a terror fortress in an in an urban neighborhood and um a lot of soldiers got killed there so the, the Israel is already coping with these devastating losses it's it's over 1200 people dead already and people are people are obviously upset and they, and they want revenge and they want to strike back but i also like If we're we're going to take over Gaza, it's going to kill a lot more soldiers. So that's that's another issue that is just I don't like I don't see how how they could go in in a strong way and and dismantle Hamas and take over Gaza without suffering like who knows how many more casualties in the military.
0: Right. And look, they are saying all uh, everything indicates that a ground invasion is pretty imminent. At least that's all the reports are saying and I am curious, everything, based on everything you're saying, and this, this is an impossible question to answer, but I'm just curious what your response is. How do you envision this playing out? Where would we be? And that's, we'll get to the hostages in a moment, and, and it's horrific, horrific, unspeakable, and, and, and tragic, what, what's, what they went through, what they're going through, and that's a separate conversation, not, that's the most, perhaps the most important conversation, but that's in a moment, but um in terms of the actual retaliation and like you're saying if there's a ground invasion 2 weeks, 3 weeks, 4 weeks from now, 6 weeks from now, like what would, what would you think is the best case scenario?
1: I don't I don't really see a good case scenario to be honest. Wow. I mean if, if we like if we take over Gaza so so we pulled out of Gaza in 2005 um, if we take over Gaza again, what, like what's that going to look like? We'll, we'll be occupying more territory. Which is destructive f- for Israel as well, um, and like taking over the whole place is is going to be just catastrophic for both sides. And and we'll be occupying two million people, many of whom are hostile to us, and it with a strong terror infrastructure there. So I don't I don't I don't really see any any good outcomes yeah. for for. I mean, operation. the numbers are
0: just too big. We can't reset and go back to two thousand and five when things were relatively stable. Because at this point, the numbers are just too too out of hand.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if it's numbers, but it's it's like a really densely packed area, and it's 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 hard to it's hard to control a place like that. Like think like think of Manhattan. I think Manhattan has like I don't know maybe somewhat similar to the population of Gaza, the island of Manhattan. Think, think about trying like it, trying to control manhattan if most of the population was hostile to you it's it's like extremely hard to do yeah. stuff like this like we, we have like the west bank we we've maintained a presence there like we didn't pull out like gaza and we work with the palestinian authority security forces to to camp down on terror elements in in the west bank and so, like, Gaza, they've had this the, the past almost 20 years to, to build this terror infrastructure. The West Bank, they haven't had that because we've been there and the PA is working with us. And it's still, well, like, we don't have control of the West Bank either. Like, before this uh, war in Gaza, there's been terror attacks against Israelis in the West Bank right. and emanating from the West Bank daily. Um, like, there's minor attacks daily and then... There's a, there's occasional bigger ones like this was already the deadliest year in the conflict in a long time because of all the violence in the West Bank. So like we we, we can't control the West Bank already. I don't like we it, it, it'll be devastating to go into Gaza and occupy Gaza again and try and try to control Gaza again like we did before 2005.
0: Right. Now, there you mentioned this earlier. There There are so many as painful, painful aspects to this horrific attack in the aftermath but one of the most painful the most difficult i mean a nightmare for, you know for anybody certainly for the families the victims and and, and anybody observing is the, is the hostages and what's happened to them the way they've been treated the way they're Continuing to be treated, it's, it's, it, it's horrific, it's unspeakable. It's hard, to, honestly, it's hard to talk about, but I think we have to just address it. They're suffering inhuman atrocities, uh, you know, uh, e- even the most callous person, I think, just feels an incredible amount of sympathy and compassion, uh, you know, other than a few, obviously, you know, random extremists. Um what are your thoughts as far as, again, a, t- a, d- a difficult issue to tackle, but do you think there's a chance that there's some kind of swap rescue operation? Uh, you know, what just what are your thoughts about all that?
1: Um, there's not going to be a rescue like th- there's not going to be a rescue operation of all the hostages. So, um, there, there was an Israeli soldier called Gilad Shalit who was captured by Hamas sure. a while, maybe around 2010. I forget the dates. He was held for about five years. He was years.
0: held for five years, yeah.
1: This, yeah, this was one soldier. Who was held by Hamas, and it was a national obsession in Israel trying to get him out. And it took five years to get one soldier out, and they couldn't do it in a rescue operation. They did it with a massive prisoner transfer. Yeah, they
0: paid the dear they, price. They
1: released, yeah, they released over a thousand prisoners, most of whom were convicted of terrorism. Some of them got out of prison and killed more Israelis. Right. So they many they, they couldn't go in. And rescue one guy they're not going to go in and rescue over a hundred people there, there's also been there's two living israelis who have been held in gaza for the past few years um and there's been two bodies of soldiers who have been held in gaza for i think close to 10 years and they can't get those people out so there's i don't there, there's not there's no real way to get all like to rescue them or to do a uh, a prisoner swap like maybe if they clean out every Palestinian in every jail, maybe Hamas would release a lot of them. I don't know. Um, but that would cause its own problems and all these dangerous people loose. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see how they're getting the hostages out of there.
0: Wow. Look, we all hope there's some kind of miracle solution. I certainly understand your sentiments, uh, as troubling, as disturbing as it is. Um, can you walk us through getting back to the actual attack? And again, something that people have struggled with. And I haven't honestly seen, I've seen people say, how, how did this happen? How did this transpire? How could the Israelis have been caught so off guard? Such a, the most sophisticated intelligence agencies on the planet. Um, and nobody really has a good answer, but I just want to understand, I think, on a basic level. Paragliders, of course, they bombed the, you know, the border towers, the outposts. There's talk of a possible cyber attack on Israeli surveillance. Terrorists breached the fences, as we know, rocket barrage, which this was a very sophisticated fence. This wasn't a chain link fence. So what I do you do you understand what should have happened under normal circumstances? I understand that there might have been a lot of things that went wrong. There, there might eventually be accountability for all that. But on just on a basic level, like like should the fences not have been able to be breached? Should they have been able to tell that paragliders were coming through? Like what would have happened if everything had gone correctly? on Israel's side.
1: If everything had gone correctly on Israel's side, they would have known about this attack a week ago, uh, first of all. There's been, there's been right. a lot of conflicting reports about whether whether Egypt warned Israel or not. It's still, Israel has denied there was any warning. There's, all, all the reports about it are, are unsourced. So, not unsourced uh, but I would say an
0: American official today did confirm that, that Egypt told them three days. Uh, not I don't know if you saw that.
1: Oh yeah, it was an official, but it was an anonymous official. I, I, I think I'm gonna.
0: I'll look. You keep talking. I'm gonna look it up. I, yeah. I, th- I think an actual so, State Department official.
1: Uh, I didn't. I, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so first of all, Israel should have had advanced warning. Like all the all the investments in intelligence. It's it's just crazy that nobody knew such a big, sophisticated thing um, that nobody knew about it ahead of time. And second of all, like, I don't, I don't want to speculate too much about the military because so much is unclear and it's, it's a sensitive area, but they, they, so Hamas was doing these kind of border riots for a while, which looked like it was kind of a distraction. So, um, I think it kind of like, like those were kind of seen as winding down. So I think there was, there was a feeling that things were stabilizing in Gaza, um, and I th- like I think it was also just kind of a, f- a failure of imagining what could happen. Like the IDF has been, pre- pre- been preparing for a lot of threats from Gaza, like tunnels, the um, fence, uh, drone stuff. They've been like sending arson over the over the border to light stuff on fire. Yeah, the arson balloons, sure. It, yeah, rockets obviously like put a ton of. It, uh, like Iron Dome, ton of uh, investments in rocket defense, and I just, I don't know if people were preparing <clears throat> for a major land invasion. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was part. Like it wasn't something that I heard of that people were saying we need to prepare for over a thousand guys just running across the border and and killing people. Like when you're thinking about you know a few guys coming up through a tunnel, I think it's the, the bigger threat just may have been overlooked.
0: Right by the way, it was uh, Republican Michael McCall, who's the chairman of the U.S. of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, he actually said this. This is very breaking news. It happened just a couple of hours ago. He confirmed that Israel got a warning from media. And again, I'm not saying that's accurate. But that is actually pretty interesting. And um but as you say, yeah, you know, like, it's a really interesting point you're making. We're kind of like they have to anticipate so many scenarios. Number one, they're fighting enemies on all sorts of different fronts. And then they have to go and anticipate so many scenarios from so many different uh, angles. Uh And they just kind of missed. Uh, we can't call it obvious because it's 2020 hindsight. But they missed something which is very low tech and seems very old school and almost improbable. So that's a, that's a really good point. Did you see this story? that um, Hamas also spent months, if not years, trying to fool Israel, lull Israel into a full sense of security. They were focused on work permits and they were focused on financial incentives. And they kind of, the, you know, they 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 put violence on the back burner. And uh, Israel felt that there were bigger threats from a lot of the other fronts and a lot of the other groups and uh, felt that Hamas kind of was toning things down. Did you see that?
1: Yeah, I've seen that. I know. I know Hamas is saying that. I just, I don't... Like put a lot of stock in anything Hamas is saying, so maybe maybe they're saying that. I don't blame you. (laughs) Maybe maybe it's true. I don't know. It seems like it. Like it's a possibility. Um, Hamas doesn't. They don't need motivation or something to do this. This this is their reason for being. Is is to kill Jewish people and and establish an Islamist uh, state. So there's a lot of speculation like is iran part of it which like that's a whole issue that's still unclear is iran part of it were they taking advantage of the netanyahu government um where is it related to internal palestinian politics like related to the situation in the west bank um were they were they planning it for a long time did iran do the planning it's like this is this has always been hamas's reason for existing so the simple thing is they did this because they wanted to do it, and they were able. They were able to do it. So, like a lot, a lot of these these questions are important. But the big picture is this: this
0: is just who Hamas is. You're 100 percent right. Benjamin Rose, journalist, I was speaking with, and he said Hamas doesn't need a pretext. We were talking about different theories people have about Saudis making deals with Israel, and Hamas is trying to disrupt it. He said they don't need a pretext. They just do not need a pretext. This is like like you said. This is their raison d'etre. This is it.
1: Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it. Like, it's it, like it's important to find out what what all the background was, but they, they don't need a pretext. It's like, why did ISIS do do like why did ISIS wipe out the Yazidis? Well, it's just it's it's who they are. It's their it's their yeah, like you said, it's the raison d'être. So, like a lot of these questions, they're important, like both to know and to prepare for future threats. But um. The the big picture is this is who Hamas is and what
0: they want to do. Yeah, I totally respect that. Absolutely. Now, uh, Israel announced a a unity Uh government. This is a big, significant announcement from the political side. Benny Gantz joining up with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And number one, my first reaction is it's so sad and tragic that it took this kind of situation to, to bring about unity in Israel amongst the government with all the discord that we've been going through. But I am curious... What your thoughts are? Is it significant? Is it really going to make a difference? Does it matter? What you know? Why should we care? What are your thoughts?
1: I still, it's, it's still really unclear what's going to happen. I, it's significant. I think it's good for Israel. Like there are people, like like people like Ben Gvir in the government, um, are probably not the ones who should be handling a, a military operation. Like Ben Gvir, Rich, these people with a lot of power in the government. they 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 tend to throw bombs around they have their own priorities and they don't have military background i think everyone agrees that gantz is level-headed uh reasonable like very well respected guy since all the political turmoil in in israel in the the past year gantz has just attracted a huge amount of support and he's a former defense minister minister and idf chief of staff um also joining the the emergency cabinet as an obs- observer is Gotti Eisenkot, who's who's in Gantz's party, and he's also a former IDF chief of staff. And then it's Netanyahu, and it's Gallant, who also has a, a defense minister very long, great military record. That's so interesting. They have, they have, and it's a small cabinet. It's um. I, th- I think it's just the three. I think it's Gallant, Gantz, and Netanyahu are the only ones making decisions. And then there's two observers. Um, so a small a small cabinet with a lot of military experience and a small cabinet can make decisions much easier. They also said um, there will be no law proposals or government decisions made that are not um, directly related to the war. Government... Um, government appointments that were set to expire get automatically extended so they've they've really cleared the table um to only focus on this and start, and set up a way like i don't i don't think it means that much about the political the bigger political so, like it means people like people right. are obviously coming together a lot because of this crisis um it doesn't solve the crisis but but right now, people are coming together. Like even Ben Gavir, the, the the farthest right members of the government are applauding this unity government. So right now, the politicians have come together, which will help the war effort. Um, but it's it's not like the, every like all the political problems in Israel have been have been solved right. because of this either.
0: Understood. Good point. Very good. Good observation. Uh, what did you think of the United States' response to President Biden's? Response You mentioned Obama earlier, who had some pretty strong words. And what have you thought about Biden's response to all of this?
1: I think Biden couldn't be backing Israel much more strongly. He's um, just just complete support for Israel, like both rhetorically and in actions. They've started sending um, advanced munitions to Israel to help in the war effort. They moved an aircraft carrier fleet to the region, uh, I think mostly as kind of a Tacit threat against Hezbollah getting involved. Um, so the, the the like the Biden administration has been 100% supportive of Israel, and Biden delivered this really heartfelt speech yesterday that really really resonated with Israelis, both leaders and um, both normal people. Like even people who are on the right wing of Israel who have been critical of the Biden administration we're just completely moved and, and won over by this speech. Um, so I think, I think Biden and his administration and the U S are, are really there for Israel. And it, it means a lot to Israelis. And I think it will make a big difference for Israel.
0: Wow. Yeah, I hear that. And um, that's a great point. And um, I think it's my last question. I, 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 wonder, and at this point doesn't matter. I don't know, but, How does Hamas get? It's it's almost like such a basic question, and I should know the answer to it. But the amount of weaponry that Hamas has, when you talk about the thousands and thousands of rockets in Gaza, and you talk about the amount of weapons that was that were needed, you know, in order to the munitions, you know, to pull off this attack, there were fifteen hundred dead terrorists in Israel. Not to mention all the ones who who made it back, and who knows, you know, there's still others hiding. I would have thought, like you said before, Gaza is not much bigger than Manhattan. I would have thought that the Israelis would be able to just block off to just because the sheer magnitude of weaponry that has to come through in order for Hamas to be effective. You you have any idea of how that works and why that is something that cannot be prevented?
1: I I, I don't I don't know how they got everything like how, how did they get he- like uh paragliders and learn to fly them? Um I really don't know. Part of it is like you have to ship a lot of stuff into a population like that. And Israel can't go through every single box that's going into Gaza, I think. So I think some stuff just gets through. And also Hamas is totally focused on this. They get, they get, you know, they get concrete to build schools in Gaza and they use it to build tunnels. So when the, when the whole government is, is focused on this, I think they're able to, to put some of this stuff together. And um they, like, it's, They don't they don't care for the people of Gaza. They care for terrorism and their military and like like the Palestinian people in Gaza suffer hugely from this, too. And they're going to they're going to suffer from this campaign. So when you have like when you have a terror group, Hamas and all the other terror groups in Gaza, when their singular focus is on is on violence, I think they're just able to get enough stuff together to mount their campaign like this. And, um, also, like, they get a lot of support for Iran, also, from Iran, also. Sure. Like, Iran is, is funding these kind of terrorists and militant groups across the Middle East, like, also Hezbollah, also groups in uh, Iraq and, and, and Syria and everywhere else. So, Hamas, or, uh, Iran has its, its ways of, of doing this stuff. So, like, sending funds to Hamas, getting, getting weapons to these groups, like, also Yemen. So, they're, they're doing this stuff around the Middle East. So, I don't know the, the details about it, but when, like when there's that much willpower to do this kind of thing, they were able to do it.
0: Yeah, it's actually a good point. I mean, look, we know they get hundreds of millions, probably billions of dollars. Uh, like you said, they get supplies. Their citizens, their own civilians see none of it. They They live in squalor. They have no electricity most of the day they have no education they have no livelihood i mean they are living uh, like lives of animals it's like a jungle and you're right they just hoard all the money to, literally for this one purpose it's it, it it's one it, you know it it's a, it's a state it's not a state sponsor of terror it's it's a, it's a state run terror campaign that's really what it is it's unbelievable yeah, and,
1: uh- yeah and uh yeah like again we've we've been talking mostly about the israeli victims but yeah the palestinians and the people of gaza like like many of them support Hamas. like hamas is popular in the west bank but this is a tragedy for everyone involved every, everyone's going to suffer this conflict's not going away and, and people are going to keep getting killed and, and suffering in, in every way on both on both sides this this is kind of a high watermark of this conflict but it's been going on for a hundred years and it's not going away. And this, this, this latest war is just going to make everything worse, um, for our lifetimes, our, our children's, like, this is a, this is a devastating attack that's going to reverberate for a really long time and just cause huge, huge suffering and hardship for everyone involved for, for like, for, just a really, yeah. really long
0: time. Yeah, look, and we'll leave it there. Like I said, sobering, but I really appreciate your candor. Uh, by the way, your clarity, your analysis, you know I really, really appreciate everything you've had to say. And like I said, I re- I'm really a really big fan of your work in general. Uh, again, it's uh, JTA and New York Jewish Week. That's where we check you out now. Anywhere else uh, these days? Or those, that's where we're going to find you, I guess, probably on an almost daily basis.
1: Yeah, that's where you'll find me.
0: Okay, so we wish you a lot of luck in that endeavor. I hope we get to do this again. I hope under much happier times. Luke Tress, reporter at the JTA New York-Jewish Week, former editor and reporter at the Times of Israel. Thank you so much for being here on the Yaakov M. Show on the VIN News podcast.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Yaakov.